Hi, I'm Tom Woods, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm your host, Doug Stewart, and I want to share with you an opportunity I had to recently be a guest on a new podcast that you might be interested in called The Freedom Adventurer. It's a new podcast that I was able to join, and I would hope you would check it out. Um, One of the reasons I want to share it with you is the podcaster basically just asked me a bunch of different questions. They have to do with all kinds of libertarian Christian content, including things like Romans 13, foreign policy, the drug war. I mean, it was kind of all over the map and, and kind of in a good way in the sense that we, you know, get a get a sense of what does a Christian libertarian think about a lot of things. Now, Clearly, it's just my answers, and you know, sometimes my answers are just one part of a set of answers that the Libertarian Christian Institute might give for different things. And so, I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode, and uh, check out the Freedom Adventure podcast. Welcome to the Freedom Adventure podcast, Doug. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Why don't you share with us a little about your journey becoming a Christian Libertarian? So I grew up in a Christian home, pretty conservative, pretty much Republican home. And, you know, that part of the story of being a Christian isn't too interesting with respect to the the libertarian journey, except maybe during my younger years. My mother tells me I was pretty contrarian and I was always, you know, finding ways to be be such. So maybe maybe that's sort of in my nature. But it was in my early 20s when I started going from like my conservative journey to more of a left leaning theological journey. And some of the things that I realized in studying the gospel, studying the scriptures even more than I had as a younger kid was that the gospel had a lot to say about how we relate to one another in the world, how, you know, it wasn't just about, you know, what are you going to, where are you going to go when you die kind of experience. And so thinking about how do I relate to one another? How do I relate to the world? Whether it's, you know, the environment, whether it's other people, how do I, what does it mean for commerce? All those different things I was questioning and the kinds of answers that people were giving really just didn't feel right to me. Now, I sort of feel like there was this like Holy Spirit nudging me, hey, you need to learn some things before you like make a judgment on, oh, hey, you need to jump into this sort of theological camp. And so that was that was more my start into understanding economics, because if we're going to understand human action, how people relate to one another, what does the economy mean? You know, you, you're going to have to study at least some economics, get some basics down. And so that introduced me to some people like Ron Paul, Bob Murphy and some others who happen to be libertarians. And the the mindset that they took and the economics that they taught just made a whole lot of sense to me. It made sense of the world. It made sense of how people interacted with one another. And so that really felt really good. The Christian side of things didn't really, I didn't really question, oh, is this compatible with libertarianism or is my, or is this libertarian idea compatible with my Christian faith? Because all along, all growing up, it was like, you know, you go out and preach the gospel and you invite people to follow Jesus and you you don't force them to do that. I mean, hundreds of years of church history has, you know, we have examples of that in church history to where that's just a bad idea. And we shouldn't impose a religion or somebody's religious views on everybody else, you know, without without their consent. So 
I really started to embrace the libertarian idea because of sort of the way I was reading the scriptures, how I was, you know, sort of brought up to realize that, you know, like we don't force other people to do things. Mm-hmm. And Doug, what are the biblical foundations of Christian libertarianism? I think for me, sort of basing it off the, the story that I just told about mine is like the, the phrase that Jesus is Lord. Um, when I was growing up, I was never told this. I was told Jesus is Lord. That means, you know, you make him the savior of your heart or whatever. And that, that's all fine and well and good. But in its first century context, it also carried very political overtones. And so for me to say Jesus is Lord is not just about what I'm personally doing, but it is a declaration that is saying also, and Caesar is not. It it would be in some ways probably a little bit, you know, in our day, it doesn't matter what you have on a bumper sticker, but it would be like saying Jesus is my president or Jesus is my Supreme Court or Jesus is my constitution or something along those lines where it says, you know what, Jesus is Lord. Lord overall. And that means that the powers that be, which is sort of, you know, all condensed in the word Caesar, in this case, those are not Lord. And so with respect to the way I live my life, with respect to who do I share my allegiance to, that is Jesus and not the state, that is Jesus and not other people's will over me. There's some other themes throughout the whole scriptures, though, that I think a lot of people, if you're just looking for verses that say, here's our view of government or here's the Christian or Jewish view of government, you're not going to be able to do that. You have to do theology. You have to sort of read the whole scripture. And there's an anti-empire thread. An empire is basically uh, an institution or set of institutions, you could say. And, and the state is a set of institutions, I should say, that that have their own will, that have their own agenda and their goals. And that goal is self-preservation and domination over everything else. And so we could easily see that that is uh, part of the state uh, and that the state sort of exhibits those qualities. And, you know, there's an there's a prophetic voice against the state and against empire. There is, you know, even in the original, we, we could say it's the foundation story of the state and the Tower of Babel. God is rejecting human beings trying to, you know, find God and be like God. And so what we see is a huge anti-empire threat. I mean, even have the scriptures ending where Jesus, you know, we can talk about what, you know, what what the imagery in Revelation means. But Jesus basically overthrows the government. And so that is it is not a pro-government text. Now, people have tried to use it that way, but it is definitely against empire. So that would be probably my my take on the biblical foundations for me is like, how how did I come to the conclusion that the Bible and libertarianism were compatible? That's where I would see that foundation. Mm-hmm. And when Christians talk about government, a lot of times they bring out Romans 13. What about mm-hmm. Romans 13? <laughs> Well, I think it's it's so interesting to me that people want to bring up Romans 13. And I, I kind of understand it because, you know, you, you if you're looking for the through the Bible for things that translate well from Greek to English or Hebrew to English, and you, you have this sort of pretty propositional statement, right? And, you know, it says, you know, all, all authority is given by God or, you know, I don't, I'm drawing a blank on the exact uh, translation there. But the the one thing that people like to look for is something clear and compelling. And they look at that and they say, oh, there it is. God says, because, you know, it's in the Bible. Paul wrote it down. And, and this is God's voice saying that the government is instituted by God. And we have to sort of step back for a moment and realize that the same person who penned those words 
was also executed for defying the state, for doing exactly what the state said not to do. And the other question is like, well, then why did he write something like this? And there's there's a handful of ways in which you can interpret that so that you understand in the context of the entire, you know, history of, you know, how the Bible is interpreted and all and how Paul would probably be perceiving this. And you got to keep in mind, he's writing a letter to people. Right. And so I think he was asking people to exercise prudence in the face of things that that they could be in trouble for. So I said a little bit earlier that when you say Jesus is Lord, it means Caesar is not. Now, if that is a very political statement, and it, and it was in the first century, and I think it still is, then you have to remember then that if he's writing this to people and if saying that Jesus is Lord to the church at Rome would create a big stir, then the church at Rome needs to know how can they just like – He's given them advice here. So he's he's basically saying, here's here's what you can do. This is, you know, think of the bigger picture here. Think of how does the state play out on the, you know, on the larger stage, so to speak. So there there are many ways to interpret Romans 13. I would say the best if somebody is sort of like, ah, Doug, I don't like your, your answer or whatever. There are a handful of others who have answered in one of the books that I recommend to people that, that deals with this in about I think it's like 30 to 40 pages is called to freedom why you can be christian and a libertarian and it's the chapter by jason huey uh which is like what does the bible say about government he he goes through a lot of the different uh ways in which you can interpret romans 13 and, and kind of deals with some of the major questions there mm-hmm. and uh do you think jesus calls us to be peaceful people well, I think if he if we call him the Prince of Peace and we want to say that we are and, and we are to imitate him and follow him and love God and love our neighbor, I don't know if there's any way to get around answering yes. You know, so does Jesus want us to be peaceful? Absolutely, because Jesus was. That's that's the way I would answer that. Mm-hmm. And uh, what are your views on our foreign policy? Uh, if you're speaking about the United States, right? Yes. Yeah. So the United States has a foreign policy of intervention, agitation, and it is under the guise of protection and service. Okay. So there are probably a handful of things that are done by our foreign policy that have, that are of some use to the national security of America. I probably, you know, I can't say that every 100%, every single thing they do is, is terrible, but generally speaking, and it has been shown decade after decade, that America's foreign policy basically illustrates the type of empire that the Bible is strongly against. And so it is, you know, there's this meme that has uh, back when, well, kind of kind of rears its head every few years, this whole idea of Iran wants to obliterate, you know, Israel or the United States. And there's this meme that says, look, Iran is so ready for war. Look how close they put their country to our military bases. And so for for us to look at that and say they're the problem is pretty uh blindsided sort of like you know the log in our own eye versus the speck in someone else's and that's not to say there are no real threats out there it's not to say that there's no problems on the global scale that America might need to pay attention to but when we have a budget that is twice the amount of like every other country on earth and most of them are our allies i think we're we're putting our priorities way upside down and you know there for me, there's a handful of like practical arguments you can make with people. You know, the left wants to use the left wants things like universal health care and Medicaid for Medicare for all and things like that. And I'm like, you know, I'd be much more inclined to say, eh, maybe we could do that. Maybe we could afford that if you guys would stop, 
you know, endorsing the warfare state. Um, I don't, that's not a libertarian take, but it's just like, you know, when you're having a practical argument with somebody, it's like, look, do you realize how upside down we are? We're spending so much on war and it's just not, it's not sustainable and it's also not Christian. So for a Christian to advocate for a foreign policy that is aggressive and domineering and basically, you know, illustrates exactly the type of empire that the Bible is against, I think is pretty suspect. Mm-hmm. Sally, there's so many Christians who do mm, yeah. advocate for aggressive foreign policy. Yeah. Okay. And what do you think about the war on drugs? Well, I think drugs has won, first of all, um, because <laughs> the war on drugs is just not working. Um, and, you know, a little more seriously, the war is not really against drugs. I think I, I, I just lately thinking about euphemistic uses of words and phrases by governors and so forth during this coronavirus pandemic. Um, and so when people say there's a war against drugs or when politicians say there's a war against drugs, that's not really what they're against. I mean, that's what they say they're against. But the war is on people who choose to use drugs. So or choose to use substances that are that have been deemed illegal, which, you know, can also include things like hemp and CBD, which is now becoming, you know, not a problem anymore. So the war on drugs is a terrible, terrible idea. Um, it has it has not been anywhere close to as successful as by its own, you know, sort of standards and metrics. And it also harms a lot of people. So it is it is becoming more egregious than the problem that it was trying to solve. And, you know, and in terms of the actual solving the problem, if somebody had asked me, well, what would you do about people who are, who are, you know, drug, drug addicts and so forth? Well, putting them in prison isn't really going to make them not be drug addicts. I mean, maybe it could, but, um, our criminal justice system is not based on restitutive justice, um, or restorative justice. It's based on retributive justice. And so it's basically somebody does something wrong. It's against the law. We're going to punish them. And that is still very part of the American enterprise, if you will, in terms of, you know, uh, criminal justice. It's like, look, if you can't follow the law, these are your consequences. If those consequences aren't enough to deter you from obeying the law, then, well, you're just going to have to live with it. That was your choice. And so that is in and of itself a major problem in my mind, because we could we could do a whole lot better than to just throw people in, in prison. I mean, goodness, if we want to talk America first, we're first in incarceration and we aren't even the largest country in the world. Mm-hmm. And what are your views on Federal Reserve and how do you think Christians should view money? I think so. One of the one really good book on money is uh, by Gary North and it's called Honest Money. And I think that there's a really, really important aspect to the way we look at money. Money is something quite unique. Um, I'm teaching my kids about money right now. And, you know, the way that I'm helping them learn about how it exists in the world is like they don't want it for its own sake. Uh, they want it because of what it can do. Um, and so it has this, it has this nature and I'm not going to do it justice in, in a minute or two answer here, but it has, it has a different nature to what it is relative to other things. And when you have something like the Federal Reserve, where there's fiat currency, where it can just decide how much money exists. Okay. That wreaks havoc on the economy. And some people say, well, oh, it'll only wreak havoc on the economy if they do it wrong or if they do it in the wrong way or if they do it too quickly or too slowly or whatever. And I'm thinking, hmm, uh, who, who exactly has the knowledge to run a how many trillion dollar economy, uh, in, in the terms of like, well, how much money should there be out there? So the Federal Reserve exists to, uh, basically keep tabs on the money supply. That's, that's what it's, supposed to do, right? What it really does is it enriches the rich at the expense of the poor. 
um, at the expense of the not rich. Okay, so there's a number of ways that it does that, but we're clearly seeing over a hundred years of data and information that the, those who are well connected politically and those who are well connected to those who are making decisions on what gets done in politics, those are the people who get the money, the new money first and everybody else gets it last. And so what happens is what we, what Ron Paul calls an inflation tax. And there's this tax that our money is worth less uh, because there's more of it out there. So what, what are my views on the Federal Reserve? Uh, it should be abolished. I don't think it needs to go overnight. There's a sort of step by step that we could take to get rid of it. And I think we could go to more of a free and open banking system. It doesn't mean there won't be any problems, but it will also eliminate certain things from the economy, like the boom and bust cycle that is so normal to the experience. It's like, you know, well, this is normal. That's what people think. And what ends up happening is they don't realize how abnormal that experience is or how much it's created by a, by an institution who is just wreaking havoc. Mm-hmm. And Doug, do you think individual liberty increases the common good? Absolutely. I think if, if you don't begin with human or if you don't begin with individual liberty, you will not have a chance. If you have a vision for society that includes anything close to human flourishing or the common good, you can't do it without individual liberty. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody will make the right choices. It doesn't mean that everybody will do the things that you envision would be done under the cases of, you know, like a free society. But unless you have a free society, anything, any outcomes that you have are based on coercion and aggression. And honestly, that's not really the kind of society that I think Jesus or God wants us to live in. So, yeah, of course, the common good can't happen without individual liberty because it requires people to make their own choices that increase their benefit and are to the benefit of others as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what is the nap? The nap. Oh man. Um, so there's, it's, it's an acronym for non-aggression principle. Um, and so some people say the non-aggression axiom. Other people will say things like the zero aggression principle to sort of say zap is better than nap or something like that. But basically the principle is that we should not aggress upon others under any circumstances except unless they've aggressed upon us. So it's sort of a moral uh, starting point. And what, you know, it sort of answers the question, when is it when is it okay? When is it permissible for me to in, aggress upon somebody else? The answer is never unless they've aggressed upon you and you're using it in self-defense. Some people might go further and say there's a little bit of like revenge, like, oh, well, we need to restore, you know, the, you know, tit for tat kind of thing. But I would, I would say that in the moment of being aggressed upon, you may use equal force, sometimes lethal force if necessary as a last resort, not as an excuse for using lethal force. But if necessary, you can use lethal force um, to prevent the initial aggression from happening. I think there's a little higher standard or maybe a lot higher standard for Christians. I think uh, the very last resort for Christians would be that we should use as little aggression as possible to prevent said aggression. So if you're being aggressed upon in a certain way, so for instance, you're being attacked by somebody who has a knife or whatever, I think it's our moral responsibility to simply stop and restrain them and not simply look at the non-aggression principle and say, ah, well, you know, he's aggressing against me. I got a gun on my on my uh, left hip. I'm going to go ahead and just shoot him because I'm allowed to. That's ridiculous. That's not Christian at all. You want to protect their life if if you can. Um, now, if it's not possible, then clearly you have to do 
uh, you know, what you have to do to stop the aggression. But I would say that the non-aggression principle is um, a really important starting point for libertarians uh, to uh, rhetorically argue in favor of more freedom for people. Because w- the, the, what's really important here is that when people advocate for something like laws, what they're really saying is, if you don't do what I think this, if you don't obey the law that I think you should obey, then you should be thrown in a cage or killed. Most people, if you put it to them in that way, would say, well, no, that's terrible. No, I think you should be fined or I think you should have a ticket or I think you should be community service or something like that. And I say, well, what if I don't agree with this law? Well, well, then eventually we're going to throw you into jail. Well, what if I resist arrest? Well, eventually we're going to kill you because that's really what they're saying at the end of the day. And so the non-aggression principle is a really, really good starting point and sort of the foundation for much of libertarianism. And uh, talk about your work at the Libertarian Christian Institute. So Libertarian Christian Institute, which you can find at libertarianchristians.com, we exist to promote and make the Christian case for a free society. The case for a free society can be found and made on a number of libertarian or freedom-loving websites. But what we're doing is we are making the case that Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not, and that human flourishing can only happen through individual liberty, uh, when you start with individual liberty. So what, some of the things that we're doing at the Libertarian Christian Institute, we have a podcast that we produce weekly. It comes out on my, every Monday. It is interviews with people that we talk to. I talk to people. Um, sometimes it's theologians. Sometimes it's political topics, economists. Not every one of our guests is a Christian. They're experts in their field. So we don't make it so that everybody has to be a Christian uh, to be on our show. Because we feel like, you know, that would, that would limit us too much. We want to, we want to increase the knowledge of libertarian Christians. So we make the case for a free society using our podcast. We also have articles. I mean, we have a blog or, you know, series of articles. We, we call it our blog and we don't just throw up random things. We really vet and make sure that our articles are high quality. So the articles that you can read, you could spend hours and days uh, reading things from our website that back ups a lot of what I was just saying, maybe from different angles, different perspectives, because it's not just me writing. I'm just I'm the CEO right now. And I, you know, in in charge of content and the direction that we're going. But I'm clearly not the only person who has something good to say about this. So we have articles, we have things that we're calling toolkits, we have a starter toolkit. So for people who want to get used to like, hey, what what's this whole Christian libertarian thing, they can go to our homepage at the bottom, there's a starter toolkit that they'll they'll get sent. It's like, Every day for 10 days, they'll get a a new email with some basic information, some of which I did sort of touch on here. And for those who weren't convinced with my Romans 13 answer, we just have a new starter toolkit out for Romans 13 that you can also subscribe to on our homepage. Um, We have an audio book called To Freedom. I mentioned it earlier. It's a print book, and LCI actually uh, has the rights to the audio book, so you can get that online when you go to our website um, and go to our store. We have a lot of things in the works that were sort of uh, mitigated during coronavirus because they had to deal with in-person activities. But our website is a great place to go and find out what we're doing uh, in the future. Mm-hmm. And Doug, what was your most liberating moment? You know, becoming a libertarian, there were a lot of light bulb moments. But there was one experience, maybe the word liberating isn't quite right, although it sort of pushed me over the edge, if you will. And I felt like that was really liberating in in a number of ways. So I was listening to Freedom Watch, which is a podcast that no longer exists that I'm aware of because I don't listen to it. It's been many years. It's probably been about eight years. And it was Judge Andrew Napolitano and Shepard Smith from Fox News. They did a podcast in the afternoon. And I would listen to their podcast. And 
I remember hearing about, and I, I don't actually remember all the details, but I remember hearing about this family who was either murdered or strong, like they were all thrown into prison or something like that. And it was this, it was, it had to do with them being on vacation. It was some weird egregious thing that the government did to them and they weren't doing anything wrong by like most people hearing this story, they'd be like, well, what on earth were they doing? And yet there's this experience of the government coming in and just basically ruining their lives. And then that's not the only story, too. Like, there's a lot of different stories going on, you know, about that. I mean, recently there was a on the news, there was a story of a uh, of a break in that the police uh, raided the wrong home, and killed the wrong woman. Like they they it was a no knock raid. They burst into the home, shot the wrong woman, didn't realize it till later. And then what's even worse is when you read, you know, six months to a year later that they don't charge the, the, the cop. They put him on paid leave and then he gets back pay. And so it's just those kinds of examples of where liberty is just infringed upon. And you don't need to be a libertarian to agree with that. You know, having reading those types of experience, seeing those on the news are Aren't, I wouldn't call them liberating because that's your question, but I would say they are very enlightening and they move me to action. They move me to a deeper level of understanding of what we're up against. So I, I that's probably how I would answer your question. Um, there's a lot of liberating moments, a lot of, you know, aha moments that I've had throughout my journey. But that that's one that I recall because I know where I know where exactly I was in my yard while I was mowing when I just basically started. I, I kind of stopped and I had tears in my eyes realizing we're really up against something that can truly be evil. And at best we can say government is incompetent, but evil can is very often happening. Okay. And can you give any freedom tips to the freedom family? Don't wait for the state to live your life. Don't wait for the government to give you permission to have an abundant life. You will find a way if you want to be free, you will find a way to be free. And that means taking charge of your own life in ways that you can. It doesn't mean that your dreams for your life are possible because maybe there's some sort of limitation or maybe you're, you know, whatever. I mean, we can always find ways around it. If if anything that I've learned during the coronavirus, and there's probably a handful of them, is that People who are literally being told to stay at home or by law commanded to be and would be, you know, fined and so forth, they are finding creative ways to get around things and flourish anyway. You know, it's like it's like weeds uh, finding their way in 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 between concrete slabs or finding, you know, trees growing in weird places where there's like all granite and just a little bit of dirt. And you see this tree, you know, on a, on a hike if you're in the mountains or something. You know, things that are intended to be free will find a way to be free. So be one of those people so that you don't have to ask. You don't ha- you don't have to ask permission to be free. You can find a way to be free in the situation that you're in. Mm-hmm. OK. And do you have any final thoughts or anything else you'd like to share with the Freedom Family? Oh, man, I would say what I just said is probably the best way to end <laughs> because I was uh, I just I don't like it. I mean, I've I've lived my life where I have to wait for permission for certain things. And then I realize, well, wait a second, I'm in charge of my own life. I can make these decisions. And you have to sometimes think things out, you know? And so the, that advice is for me as much as for anybody else. But, you know, the Libertarian Christian Institute exists so that people can understand the Christian case for a free society. And uh, we, we do that in the ways that I described already. So, you know, I would encourage people to check out libertarianchristians.com because, we have a lot to offer and especially if you know if you're list, you have a podcast audience here so i'm sure they want to listen to more audio okay well thank you for your time doug yep glad to be here 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Hey, podcast listeners. Since you like listening to audio content, we wanted to let you know about a new audiobook titled Called to Freedom, Why You Can Be Christian and Libertarian. It's read by me, Jacqueline Isaacs, one of the contributing authors of the book, and every download helps to support the Libertarian Christian Institute. To learn more and to download the audiobook today, go to calltofreedombook.com.